right, marvellous morning. I, um, you know, I love stuff like we've had this morning with the dedication and so on, you know, the, the dedications, and I love baptisms, and it's then that I realise that we are, you know, a certain percentage water, because I just cry, you know, and I can't help it, and, you know, the, I just leak when it's... Um, baptisms and, and dedications and you know I think thinking about this the subject you know of living life in circles it just occurred to me then that it's because in those moments the rose for me seemed to disappear because it's about gathering round in a spiritual sense an event and a person and you know and at the baptisms we gather round the pool don't we and there's such joy when you see the people go into the waters. And it's the same for me when we pray and we dedicate children to God. You know, we, we shift from being in a practical sense, sat in rows, to a spiritual sense, being sat and gathered together in circles. And, you know, I'm a teacher, so I use rows all the time. Rows are a good way of managing your classroom because rows separate. You know, rows enable discipline in a school setting because you can put one there and one over there. Um, you know, they enable you to manage the, the environment, but actually they're not always conducive to promote good discussion and to develop relationships. And actually, you know, there's many variations on classroom layouts, if you want, but the sums for, some of the ones for me that have yielded the most productive results in terms of the development of the people in front of me as individuals have been the times where we said, right, let's push the desks to one side, let's sit round, let's face each other, let's talk truth and let's ask each other about what we think about these things that we're looking at. And really, you know, we started, uh, Rach mentioned it last week, you know, that this, we've got this series and we're, the idea is that we're looking at this concept of living a life in circles. You know, that means really living life intimately. It means living life face to face. It means living life invested in one another. And often, that's difficult on a Sunday morning in this sort of setting because there's practical uh, limitations that we have in terms of getting people into rooms. But actually living life in circles goes beyond that. It's acknowledging that church isn't about an hour and a half, two hours on a Sunday morning. Church is about how we live day to day. Church is about the communion we have with one another day to day. It's about the groups we choose to place ourselves in so that we can connect on a deeper level with others. And that's what we want to open up. You see, because God prizes relationship. You know, there's no getting around that. God created mankind to be in relationship with him. That tells you how greatly God prizes relationships. And he created mankind to be in relationship with one another. You know, we don't, we, he created Adam, didn't he? And it tells us in Genesis 2, uh, verse 18, it is not good for man to be alone. God recognised relationship was necessary for man to grow. And Eve was created. And throughout the Bible, we see relationships. Moses needed Aaron. You know, God placed Jesus in a family. That's how highly he prized relationship. Jesus gathered disciples around him because he needed relationship. God prizes relationships. And not only does he prize relationships, but God will work through relationships. You know, God's, uh, when I think about the times of he's been good to me, it's amazing how often he's good to me through the actions of somebody else. 
You know, God prizes relationships. God works through relationships. You're not meant to walk a Christian journey alone. That was never God's intention. You know, why? Because relationships will encourage you, as we've heard this morning. But relationships will challenge you. Relationships will discipline you. Relationships will shape you. God has called you to be in relationship with others. And that's why we're called a flock. That's why we're called a body. That's why we're called a family. That's why we're called a church. You know, we're meant to invest in one another. And actually, being stronger, I think if you reject relationships, you reject connection. And actually, what you do is you reject God's plan to bless you. If you choose not to invest in relationships, you're saying, God, the way you have chosen to work, because we know God prizes relationships, that's not for me. Well, actually, I think that's a nonsense. You know, God placed people, places people in relationships. Throughout scripture, we're told, aren't we, to, to look after the orphan, who were orphans, people on their own, to look after the widow, someone on their own, to accept and provide for and look after the alien, not literal aliens, you know, the foreigner from another land. We are instructed to serve and be connected with one another because God wants to bless you through it. You know, and I'm not brave enough to reject God's plans. You know, so we're going to look at three, just, just three different areas quick. And this is where I'm really regretting. I wrote in green pen. Um, so, uh, one, I want to think about what's the importance of living life in circles. And I want to consider David just for a short time. Then two, um, how do we live a life in circles? And I want to look at Paul. And then finally, what is living a life in circles going to require of you? And I want to look at Jesus, if that's all right. I think if you base a sermon on David, Paul and Jesus, we're all right, aren't we? Um, so in terms of the importance of living a life in circles, uh, we went in February, we went for a short break to Disneyland Paris. Uh, and we'd been many years ago and then we thought, well, this time the kids are old enough now to go on some different sort of rides. They'll get a different experience from it. Uh, oh, he didn't because he realised he didn't like the rides. Um, <laughs> we, oh, we encouraged him to go on some rides, some new ones. Uh, and we went on this one where you sit in a, a lift and uh, it catapults you up and then drops you down again. And we go, you'll be all right. Um, and he was like, oh, I really don't think I am. And, uh, and Lana, we discovered, is like a real thrill seeker. She's like, ha! Ah! So I was thinking, uh, and we were sat, and I was sat next to her. I was here, and then we was there, and then there was Lana, and then there was Rich. And it was only halfway through the, the ride, uh, on the third drop down, when I heard Rich just go, oh, I'm sorry, Owen. Uh, I'll tell you. But, so we discovered that we uh, loved these rides. Um, uh, so Rich and Lana went on all these rides and me and Owen walked around a bit um, and watched people on the rides. Um, but then we, we see we still found time to go on this one particular ride that I think packs all the pathos Disneyland could muster. Um, and it's this ride called It's a Small World. <laughs> And you may have heard of it. You may have even been on it. I guarantee if you've been on it, the song will be forever stuck in your head. 
and uh, it's this little boat ride and you sit in these boats and you go around the, uh, through this almost like set and it's got all these slightly freaky looking dolls in national dress from as many countries of the world as they can muster and as you go through uh, you travel through and it's very stereotypical and they're all there you know singing in front of the windmills or whatever if they're from Holland in the clogs and, um, and they're all singing it's a small world as you go around and they, this tune just goes over and over and over and, um, and we you know, in Discovered, we still like It's a Small World. Um, don't make you sick. Um, not in the stomach lurching sense, anyway. Um, so we went um, to Disneyland, and I just think we, we use this term, don't we? It's a small world quite often. You know, you hear people say it. Oh, it's a small world. And it's, we use it, don't we, where we come across connections that we didn't expect. You know, we, we realise that we know somebody who knew somebody and we've just bumped into them in a completely different country and we go, oh, it's a small world. You know, because actually it shows that how connections that we make through relationships now can actually have an impact in a completely different place than we expected them to at a completely different time than we expected them to. And that's what we see um, through David. You know, David is a man of relationship. You know, it tells us, doesn't it, that God was after a man. Uh, he was after a man who was after God's own heart. He chose David because he, he recognised a relationship he could kindle with him. And throughout uh, the stories of David, he, he has many important relationships. And I just want to focus on one um, with Jonathan, just for a short time. But these relationships that David has, whether they're with Samuel or with Saul or with Nathan the prophet or his mighty men or Jonathan, these, when we look, these relationships both design and define David's rule. Because God uses these relationships to shape David, to encourage David, to rescue David, to challenge David. So David can be the king that God intended him to be. And it highlights how we, have, we need this to live this life in circles and get connected with individuals who are going to walk our journey with us. So David um, is going to replace Saul as king. And Saul has a son, Jonathan. So Jonathan is the son and heir of the king who David will replace. And Jonathan and David establish a really special, close relationship and it starts in 1 Samuel chapter 18. And it just says, After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him, and he did not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David, because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic, and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. You see, Jonathan makes this complete um, commitment to David. Um, he gives him of himself. And actually, essentially acknowledges, I should be king, but I acknowledge that your God's anointed and there's something special on your life and I choose to submit to you and give you everything I've got. He establishes such a depth of relationship. And this relationship we see such blessing spring from. And it's a relationship based on intimate contact and intimate investment in one another. So we see that time and again, this relationship gets reaffirmed between them. 
And David is blessed by it time and time again. Just examples in chapter 19 of 1 Samuel, Jonathan warns David that his father is plotting to kill him. And he speaks to Saul on David's behalf so that Saul will follow through on his threats. In chapter 20, he again discerns that Saul uh, is plotting against David and he speaks to David and he warns David and he protects David. When David has fled in chapter 23 and David is in hiding, it's Jonathan who goes to him and encourages him. And it isn't just one way David loves Jonathan. When he learns later of Jonathan and Saul's death, David uh, writes a lament that he, uh, he tells the whole of Judah that they must learn it. That's how highly he prized the relationship that he had with Jonathan, the son of Saul. So we see that in these immediate senses, the relationship brings huge blessing to David and that's what God wants for you guys he wants you to be so connected intimately with other men and women of God that God can bless you through that relationship and if we choose not to we choose uh, not to connect we choose not to allow God to work through others to bless you you know but it isn't just about the here and the now and the immediate what we see later on in the story uh, in chapter 20 Jonathan says to David, you know, please, will you promise that you will always keep your eye out, if you want, for my descendants? Will you love them? Will you look after my descendants for the sake of our relationship? And David makes that commitment to him as part of their life together in circles. So David commits to showing kindness to the descendants of Jonathan. And we see this eventually come to pass and it's not so much not later it's in 2 Samuel in chapter 4 we're introduced to the descendant who will be the benefit of this covenant relationship and it's just one line chapter 4 verse 4 we're introduced to a boy at this point five-year-old boy called Mephibosheth look at that I've practiced that (laughs) and we all we know of Mephibosheth is that as Saul and and Jonathan uh, were killed and his nurse picks him up to flee because she knows nothing of David's promise to honour Jonathan's descendants. And uh, he's dropped in the rush to flee and he's crippled. And then he moves out of the passage. He's not in the rest of that chapter. The chapter goes on to talk to something else. But we're introduced to Mephibosheth. And then the next part of the story doesn't appear then until the next chapter in chapter 5, verse 8. When David, who's been king in Hebron for seven years, returns and conquers Jerusalem. And uh, an oath is given that says the blind and the lame will not enter the palace in Jerusalem. So here you can make the connections and you think, well, there's a son of Mephibosheth, a son of Jonathan, a descendant who David said, I will always show kindness. Yet an oath has been made that no lame will enter the palace. But we know he's crippled. So then we move on in chapter 9. David asks a servant of Saul's household, Ziba, um, is there anyone left of Saul's household who I can show kindness to for the sake of the promise I made? And Ziba says, yes, there is. There's a boy. Well, he's a man now, I suppose, called Mephibosheth. And he's the son of Jonathan. And he's living over here. He's living in the household of a man called Machia, who chose to look after him and provide for him. So David says, well, bring him to me. Bring him to me. So he brings him. 
And David speaks to Mephibosheth and basically says, for, because of the kindness your father showed me and my promise to him, come into the palace, the palace where he said no lame will enter. He, he goes back on that and he says, for, for the sake of the promise I made to your father, come into my palace. I restore to you all the lands of your father's household. And from every day, you will eat from my table. You know, a beautiful relationship born out of the connection that was established through choosing to live a life connected to another. But it goes beyond that. If you dig deeper, later on, one of David's own sons, Absalom, seeks to overthrow him. David has to flee Jerusalem. And he flees Jerusalem and he heads out into the desert. And they've gone in a rush and it's like, and, and his uh, entourage are behind him. And how, when they're in the desert, will they be fed? How will they have enough water? How will they be provided for? And it tells us that as they start to journey out into the desert, they're met by a man, Zeba, the man who remembered Mephibosheth and said he's in the household of Micaiah and he provides sustenance. But then moving on even further into chapter, what are we in now, uh, 17, He's moved further into the desert. And who should provide for him now? A group of men, one of them, Makiah, the man who had cared for and protected Mephibosheth. You see, it was connection, built on connection, built on connection, built on connection. And David saw blessing now and blessing then and then blessing in the future. And he couldn't have seen it coming. He didn't know which corner it was going to come round. But it came and it was birthed out of a choice to invest in another and live in close, intimate relationship, to live life in circles. You see, I don't know, David was a psalmist, and maybe he wrote it's a small world. Because <laughs> he must have thought it, you know? And he must have seen things, and, it, uh, and he must, as I say, have seen things that he, he could never have believed. But it happened in this almost, this circle of life. Yeah. <laughs> Moves us all. Sorry, I promised Owen I'd put that one in. Um, so we see relationships are there to be invested in. They're there to be committed to. Why? Because God wants to bless you. And God wants to bless you now. And he wants to surprise you with blessing in the future. And I just put to you this morning, will you give him the chance? Will you give him the chance? Will you shake yourself from where you are? Will you say, I choose not to just sit in rows for two hours? I choose to invest in people. I choose to invest in meeting with others. I choose to invest in getting involved in going to the prayer meetings. I choose to invest in getting into connect groups. I choose to invest in going along to the um, thing that you were just texting to. What's it called? Uh, connect, courses. Yeah. connect courses. I choose to invest in those things because I choose to allow God to bless me. Yeah. Very good. So how do we live in circles? You know, that's why we should live in circles. How do we live in circles? Well, I've, I've used this analogy once before. Let's use food. Right, now, if you're going to cook some things, you can, like, very quickly flash fry things, can't you? All right, and you flash, flash, flash fry things to seal in flavour, don't you? Yeah. yeah, sear it quick and seal in flavour. That's not how we're meant to live as Christians. All right. Don't want you to be a flash fry Christian. 
I don't want you to just be quickly seared in God's presence so that everything you've got gets seared inside and it's safe and you know where it is, but it's just for you. Okay? I've mentioned once before, what we're called to is casserole Christianity. Okay? Do you know how you make a casserole? You get a big pot. You cut all the different ingredients in up. You put them all in the pot. You add water. And you know the key ingredient? You add salt. Who's called to be salty? You are. Okay? So you're going to throw some ingredients in and then you're called to be in there. Because you the salt. It's an electrolyte. Um, I thought that bit was impressive. And what the salt does, it actually draws out the flavours from each ingredient that they mix in the liquid that produce the sauce, the gravy, the... Well, it's you. Um, <laughs> and the flavours are to mix and meld and produce something flavoursome and full. Do you know, actually, scientifically, it's better the following day because the enzymes that are present enable even more of the flavours to be broken down and to mix. I believe that's what we're called to. We're called to casserole Christianity. You know, you're called to mix with others. You're called to be in a pot simmering together. You're called to spend time with one another to allow those flavours to be drawn out for the saltiness that God's placed in you to draw the, the goodness and the flavour out of somebody else. Don't flash fry on a Sunday morning. Done for the week. It's all sealed in. Okay? Let yourself stew a bit. Stew. <laughs> stew, stew. And I think in 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, read it up. Um, God just gives us some of the ingredients that you're meant to throw in the pot along with yourself. Verse 11, encourage one another. Build one another up. It's a command. Encourage one another. I have these little joy ninjas at work that now and again uh, I get them to write stuff down and we just run round and burst randomly into classrooms and distribute joy. I say, write something nice about somebody you know. Yeah, the other staff love it. Um, <laughs> and God give them it. Yeah, I commit, I, I, I email or I go and see someone, a person a day. Say, so, you know, you're great at what you do. And I got an email back at the end of the day. Um, I'd sent one one night and uh, the member of staff had opened it the next morning. And, uh, she teaches French. And I just said, you're really good because you care about the kids. And thank you for caring about the kids in your classroom. And she sent me an email back at the end of the day. And she just said, I've had the best day ever. Every lesson was fabulous. And it was because I read that email this morning. You know, you're called to encourage others because it releases goodness in their life. Verse 12, chapter 5, verse 12 in 1 Thessalonians, respect one another, particularly your leaders. Hold them in the highest regard in love. You know, David had the opportunity to kill Saul. He chose not to. He spared him because he was God's anointed. And he said, who am I to do that? He respected the leader over him. And we're called to respect the leaders over us and we're called to respect each other. 
you know? And that links to verse 13, where it says, be in peace. Yeah, I think so much of how we can respect each other is by choosing to be in peace with each other and making those the ingredients of our casserole lifestyle. You know, respect and peace means conflict can't fragment. Yeah, but it's a choice we make. Verse 14, look out for each other. Do you know it tells us to look after the idle, the timid, the weak? I'd say all them are vulnerable. Look after the vulnerable. We're coming into exam season at work soon. And um, at this point, I have to look for the idle. I have to look for the weak. And I have to look for the timid. And there'll be some students getting a flea in the rear. Because they're idle, but they're vulnerable, therefore, to fail. And And they're vulnerable to not fulfill their potential. And they'll be shoved. And they'll thank me for it in a few weeks. <laughs> but there's the timid who could do well but work because they won't commit to actually just having a go. You know? They think they know the answer but they'd rather not put anything than be wrong. Do you know? They're going to miss out so much in life. You know, the timid are vulnerable and there will be the weak. They'll be the ones who are just going to find it hard. But if I can structure things right and scaffold what they need to do, I can get them the best that they can achieve. You know, that's what we're called to do with each other. Yeah, we're called to protect and look after one another. Verse 15, be kind. Yeah, I've got a student joined us this year. Um, He's just turned 18. He's blind, came from another school. You can imagine the challenge trying to manage three A-levels when he can't see things. He's doing science subjects. And, um, and socially, he finds it really tough, really tough. Um, and he, he finds it difficult to, to mix with the other students. And he turned 18 and he wanted a party. Um, and that's difficult when you don't have any friends. And he, um, and he came and told me afterwards. I said, how, how did your birthday go? He said, it was brilliant. I really enjoyed it. I said, oh, good. What did you do? And he said, I had a party. I said, oh, fabulous. How did it go? He said, well, it went really well. Um, he said, we went bowling. I said, okay, who went? He said, well, three people came. And um, Louis and Molly and Poppy came. Now, I know Louis and Molly and Poppy really well. And I know they're not his friends. You know, they haven't established much relationship with him. They're not even in the same classes as him. They're not even in the same year group as him. But they knew that it was his 18th and they knew that he wanted a party and they knew nobody else was going. Uh, And they went. And you know, so over the following week, I pulled each of them in and just said, what you did was amazing. And I want you to know how much I appreciate what you did. And I want you to know how much that meant to Ben. And I want to just tell you that because you need to be rewarded for the goodness and kindness you chose to show to somebody else. You know? We have to be kind to each other. You know? And it calls for a little bit of self and a little bit of sacrifice of self. But it's called what we're, it's what we're called to. Verse 16, be joyful. Verse 17, pray continually. Verse 21, test and hold on to the good. 
Look for the good. Recognize the good. Hold on to the good. We won't do verse 8. Uh, what's next one? 25, holy kissing. We'll leave that. Um, that was obviously a time cultural thing. <laughs> but you know, we're called, aren't we, to live casserole lives. They're the ingredients. They're there. They're in scripture. I don't think they're even that hard to do. We just have to choose to throw them in the pot. And finally, you know, we've got to ask the question, don't we? We know relationships are there to benefit us. Living life in circles is there to benefit us. We know that um, there's ingredients that we've just to put them in and let them simmer. But finally, what a relationship is going to require of you? I know in terms of me and Rach, flowers now and again, put my socks in the washing thing, basket. Notice that the house has been cleaned after it has been. Just remember stuff that I was meant to remember. That's for us though, you know. I believe Jesus had the real answer. I've never had any relationship or known any relationship that didn't involve a cost. It's inevitable, you know, because if you want something deeper than, than just superficial, it's going to require something of you. It's going to require commitment, it's going to require consideration, it's going to require the love, it's going to require sacrifice, it's going to require a choice to live in circles. And it's choosing something beyond self, and we are a bit trapped with the concept of self. You know, self is entered the dictionary as a phrase, isn't it? You know, and I know we all have a selfie and it's funny and so on and so forth, but actually, it's, it's a picture of me. I'm taking a picture of me. You know, we've become quite obsessed as a society with image and self, and the reality is, in the, in the clamour for me, we forget we. Giving and receiving has become so unusual that we don't know how to do it. And we don't know how to take it. I bought a, a lots of bags of sweets and sent a group of students into Driffield one day. I said, give them out, give them away. I'll meet you in half an hour, tell me how it went. Half an hour later, only one student had managed to give one sweet away. Everybody that tried to give one to would turn them down. Everyone. They said, we can't give anything away. People offered to pay for it. The only one who got rid of it, got rid of it by agreeing to go to Knit and Natter that following week. <laughs> you see, people have lost trust in the we because it's become so countercultural. You know, we've got to make it fashionable again. You know, we've got to sacrifice self that others becomes the norm. You know, Jesus was never about me. Jesus was always about him and them. You know, even in the Garden of Gethsemane, what does he say to God? Your will be done. I'd rather not do this. Not quite in those words. But Father God, your will be done. On the cross, Father, forgive them. You know, ultimately, Jesus died on the cross for us, didn't he? He gave everything. He gave his life. 
that we could have a relationship with God. That it was not in rows, it was not something distant, it was something intimate because of the sacrifice he made. So I think we have to learn to let go and to sacrifice. We've got to let go of self and we've got to choose others. And do you know the random thing is, by letting go of self, you choose to obey. You know, you use your free will to choose to submit. You let go of self to say, God, your command to love one another, I'll choose to follow that. I'll submit to that. That's the paradox of it all. You use free will to choose submission. I'll let go of self to choose what God says. And God says it's good to love one another. God says, I showed you the blueprint. My son died for you. He sacrificed all. Will you do the same? He ends chapter um, in Luke um, 14. After um, Jesus speaks to the disciples in a really intimate way, tells them of where he's, um, where he's at and that it's time for him to go. He finishes with this. I think it's fab. Come now, let us leave. I think he's just laid everything out before him and said, this is how it's meant to be. Let's just go get on with it. Time's here now. And actually, the time's here for you. You choose to live in circles or you choose not to. My advice would be, do it, because God wants to bless you. And my second bit of advice is, come on then, let's go.